hadn't really like given myself the opportunity to to really digest this on the scale that it deserved. It was always, how do I have to react to this to survive right now? That's what it's like in the air. Remember Ryan Graves from Transmission 2, the fighter pilot who could be cast as Captain America? Well, he was part of the squadron that recorded one of the now-famous pilot videos. Back in 2015, Graves, like others we'd heard from, also had trouble comprehending the unexplainable. I personally didn't have the maybe imagination and definitely bandwidth to like process the full implications of what that could be outside of just a safety consideration. There wasn't really context to think about it back then, or talk about it. Frankly, I didn't think anyone would care. No one did for a while. But once the Times story came out in 2017, his thinking and feelings about his experience began to change. And that's when it really honestly started clicking in my head. Finally, he had someone to talk to about what happened. In 2018, he reached out to the company named in the story, the one that helped release the videos to the Stars Academy. I basically wrote an email and I said, I was there when that was taken. You know, there's more than what the video shows. Nothing crazy, but, it, you know, obviously it was a longer video than that. Do you want to talk about it? When he did get a response to the stars led Graves and his razor sharp jaw deep down into the UFO rabbit hole, Graves thought about the topic more and more and decided to go public. He talked to the New York Times, the History Channel, and appeared on 60 Minutes sharing airtime with pilots Alex Dietrich and David Fravor in 2021. And he didn't hold back. I, I am worried. Uh, we're not willing to actually look at the problem in the face. We're happy to just ignore the fact that these are out there watching us every day. It's been five years since the story came out, and we know that the government is tackling the UFO issue. They're drafting legislation, streamlining how personnel can report sightings, even creating a formal office to look into them. Things Graves never would have dreamed of. But how do pilots like Graves confront the reality of experiencing the unknown? It's been a gradual process. Part of it has been me coming to terms with it myself. Occasionally now I'll be going about my day and I'll be mad because like my package was delayed. And then I'll be like, oh, aliens might be real right now. <laughs> you know, like it's such like this thing that just sits in the back of your mind. And then all of a sudden something reminds me and I'm like snap back to this quasi dream state where there's just fascinating things happening almost every day. I've received handwritten letters. <laughs> I've had a lot of people that have had similar experiences and it's very clear that they've been searching for answers for a long time and they haven't been able to find any. I've been reached out to some people that are terminally ill and they are looking for some type of comfort. It's heartbreaking to see some people that are looking for answers. I wish I could help them. Um, maybe I will be able to, I don't know, right? All the chaos and perplexities aside, for Graves, it's a new day. The fact that this has now turned into a vulnerability that which what the government needs to look into, I think that some of these people may, may get answers soon. I'm MJ Benias. From something else, this is Fringe Network, Alien State. Transmission 8, Patterns in the Noise. We've made it to the end, dear listener. We dug in for seven transmissions, and how are we feeling? Less definitive than we hoped? Welcome 
to my world. But don't despair. While I don't have answers, I too have guesses, theories. Ones I'd like to believe are informed, worth your time to ponder. So to close the book on the alien state for now, we need multiple perspectives from some of my friends in the weird shit beat. Let's put the government aside for a moment. What about the things pilots like Ryan Graves were seeing? What about Christopher Bledsoe, who says his illness has been cured and claims to continue having contact with the phenomenon? What's the deal? I don't know that I have come across a single case that fully shifts my worldview. There are certainly some that are intriguing and don't have explanations and remain, as we say, unidentified. This is science journalist Sarah Scholes. In 2020, she wrote a book about people who believe in UFOs. Like me, she's never had an experience, but she's gotten to know those who have. In general, with a few exceptions, I have found people who talk about encounters that they have had with unidentified uh, things in the sky to be genuine. The people are genuine, but she wonders if it comes down to how we process information. Like in the case of Christopher Bledsoe, he was raised Baptist. The strange orbs he sees daily aren't aliens or monsters to him. He calls them cherubs or angels. Bledsoe believes his cured illness was a gift from God. Once one thing happens to you, sometimes I think you start seeing other things through that lens, perhaps, and also through the lenses that you bring just from your own personal background. Like if somebody else had those experiences, they might not interpret them through a Christian lens. For Sarah, there's a similar disconnect when it comes to members of the military who have had an encounter. What are your thoughts on Graves and that incident? I have no doubt that that Graves and his uh, colleagues saw things that were um, strange and concerning and um, that that they're accurately describing their uh, experience with those. But where it gets hard for me, I think, to, to, you know, to draw any sorts of conclusions from that are we don't we don't have anything definitive, I don't think, linking the, the visual evidence that we have to their personal accounts, and we don't have the hard data that might be associated with those videos. Um, and what I would like to see is, you know, so, you know, I'm not going to get this, but like the radar returns, footage that isn't just totally decontextualized from what came before or after, and some kind of report maybe linking those two things to the anecdotal accounts. And I think that's the only way we're going to get a full picture of what might have gone on and be able to understand it. Within the UFO community, people often say, well, you know, these are naval aviators, these are Air Force pilots, these are military personnel, they're trained observers. Do we lend them more credibility than someone like you or me? I do think that they deserve more credibility than me if I was flying a fighter jet and saw something, just because I don't have a baseline knowledge of the sorts of things that I might see and what, uh, what rises above that baseline as anomalous. But I don't think... It, it gives, you know, their accounts carte blanche to be taken as totally accurate because they are still people with eyes and brains and eyes and brains are fallible and don't have all of the information. We're talking about multiple pilots over many years in different areas witnessing things they can't identify. 
and that should absolutely be looked into. But at times, speculation and possibly wishful thinking seems to take hold. Mellon, with all of his credentials, has said this. You have to wonder if there are other uh, intelligent life forms that we don't know about that are interacting with us. It's such a big leap. It's like the leap from I see something I don't understand to therefore not only do alien civilizations exist, they're intelligent, they can build spacecraft that can go thousands of uh, light years, maybe they land on Earth and we see them. Like, the, all of the steps of that chain require their own causative link and we don't have those. Despite her skepticism that aliens have visited Earth, spending five years on the UFO beat has changed some of Sarah's thinking on the topic. At the end of working on my book, uh, I had to admit that I, you know, I didn't know really anything more about UFOs themselves than I knew when I started and had to have uh, at least a small amount of intellectual humility to say, like, I don't have an explanation and therefore I don't know what is also not going on. And so I can't I can't say that you're wrong. I can't say that someone else is right. I think talking to just real people who hold more and different beliefs than I do with less less of what I would consider evidence made me more empathic toward, toward beliefs in general, which probably I should have thought before. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We all live with regrets. But I hope you, dear listener, don't have to live with the regret of not reviewing this podcast or using all of our promo codes. I mean, how could you sleep at night? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. There's been a lot to sort through when it comes to Elizondo, Mellon, and Semivan. But when I interviewed Tom DeLong in the fall of 2021, he told me he sees a clear victory. Uh, changing the world. You know, they, every, they all know that this is real. And they all know that a discussion about it needs to happen. And I created a vehicle that was the best shot at achieving exactly, you know, what we achieved and what's happening now. And even though two-thirds of those guys have since left along to pursue UAP on their own... I, I just think those guys are heroes, literally. I mean, we literally changed the world, and people will realize that over the next coming decade or two, and, and, uh, and I hope somebody gives them the credit they deserve, you know? Hey, John, how's it going? 
It's going good, MJ. How are you? This is John Greenwald again. He's the guy who runs the Black Vault, the online archive of official government documents. John is the most skeptical and the most removed from the personalities involved in this story. Because of that, I was interested in his perspective on how it has changed over time from a story strictly about national security to more new age type stuff. But to be honest with you, I think that we're now blending two worlds. What really did the U.S. government want and what really were they interested in versus what the, let's say, government contractors were interested in or those that took up the portfolio within the Pentagon, like Luis Elizondo. What was it that the government wanted versus what was it that they were inserting into their efforts? Here's the theory John is laying out. You start with something the public can easily swallow unknown aircraft making incursions into U.S. airspace. Then, the public acclimatizes to that idea. Sure, maybe this UFO thing is real. And then, you start to talk about the other stuff. The crashed flying saucers in random deserts in America. Consciousness and psychic abilities. You slowly change the conversation. But he's not convinced everyone came in with the same agenda. I believe that those who made up TTSA. I think they all have different reasons. I really do. I believe that for some, it's going to be money. I'm sorry, it just is. These players are incredibly talented in their respective fields. So when they see a millionaire rock star that wants to create a movement to build a spaceship, essentially, probably not for the greater gift to mankind that is his intent. He has to pay his bills just like everyone else. Tim McMillan, the defense journalist at the debrief, doesn't think it's about money at all. Lou Elizondo is not showing up at his uh, Bel Air mansion in a fur coat because he's making a bunch of money off of this. I can say from personal experience, running a a media company that does try to seriously cover this news, the idea that you can get rich off of UFOs is a huge misnomer. The vast majority of people that I know, even very well-known figures in it, they're not talking about UFOs. They're not making documentary films as their full-time profession. Tim and I both went into the weird shit beat out of pure curiosity not because we wanted to get rich and famous. So, no, dear listener, I don't lie on a mattress stuffed with maple-scented hundreds, even though it sounds like I do. When we talk about Lou Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, Jimmy Semivan, based on the positions that they held within the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, that they could be having very lucrative, very popular careers. Okay. So from what we can tell, if the motivator was money, it didn't pay off right away. You'll recall Elizondo talked about living in a trailer and this being the worst decision for him personally. But maybe they thought the videos would drop and they'd get all sorts of brand endorsements. Tom DeLong Nikes, anyone? Can't you see the commercial? Joelle Embiid dunking, Bryce Harper hitting a homer, DeLong hitting a power cord and a UFO flies across the frame. Yeah, I agree. It's an awesome celebrity endorsement idea. Just like an MJ Benias special edition podcast microphone would be. Anyways, it doesn't seem to have paid off yet. Though We Heard to the Stars has a bunch of film and TV projects in the works and Elizondo has his big book deal. So money is one motivator. 
but unlikely to be the only one. I think everybody had different intentions, and it's really hard to say, was this an orchestrated play of something bigger and a scheme to mislead the general public? I, I don't... I don't see that. I don't. Maybe I just don't want to see it that malicious. But it's 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 a possibility that I'm kind of warming up to. Okay, so let's look at the more sinister theory. The government is using UFOs as a sort of tool to mislead the general public in a big con to hide something, secret technology perhaps, and maybe the three Navy pilot videos were part of it. Are they tools to mislead us in thinking? that the U.S. Navy is clueless and they're unidentified flying objects when they know darn well what they are, whether they be classified U.S. tech or Air Force technology or even another country or even alien. Who knows? Could it be that? That's the thing about disinformation. You don't really need to lie. You just provide a couple bits of true information and withhold the rest. Then watch the public spin it for you. I think that there is still a potential possibility that what we're looking at on those screens are classified technology. I just, I just believe it. I believe that's a big possibility. I know some people don't want to hear that, but rather that's where I lead into the counterintelligence value of this information, where you just kind of let that leak out. If the government and military wants to keep a secret, they generally can and can for quite some time. It doesn't always stay 100% secret, but it's like when these came out, eh, they didn't really do anything about it. Well, considering the history of how the U.S. government has handled secret weapons technology, it wouldn't be unheard of. Sarah Scholes, the science journalist, thinks that's a possibility. I think that's historically when military and intelligence types have been working on secret systems. There's one sort of rhetoric that goes out to the public that is talking about UFOs or kind of encouraging talk about UFOs while this secret program is going on, and that the UFO talk kind of distracts from the actual military thing. Could using the term UAP distract the public from what the government is actually working on? Like a new secret technology or weapons testing? You know, kind of like the UFO air balloon spy balloon that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico back in 1947. Tell the people it's a flying saucer, so the Soviets don't find out we're spying on them. Sarah thinks UAP could be used as a sort of decoy to encourage government funding into research for programs for things like advanced drone technology or advanced detection systems. Now... You can have the, the Department of Defense or the, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence talking about unidentified aerial phenomena, and then in the same things about investigations and reports and funding lines for things, they're talking about the, the threat of, of drones. So I think it's a, it's a way to talk one way to the public and then get funding for this other thing that you're also interested in. So is this an effort by the government to mislead the public? to hide what they really know or what they're working on? Tim McMillan doesn't think so. Now, the idea that the U.S. would be purposefully doing this to deceive anybody, one, uh, it would be illegal. 
And I've said not only would it be illegal, but it would be so publicly illegal because you would have uh, the U.S. government publicly engaging in psychological warfare operations on its own populace because it's it's giving statements to the American media. It's giving statements to uh, the American citizens. Your, your politicians are giving statements uh, to do that would be illegal and it would be the equivalent of, of kind of live streaming as you broke into the Watergate complex. And we're like, look at what I'm doing here and posting on TikTok. You know, it's crazy. Like, why would you possibly do that? Uh, it makes no sense. And so from a legal standpoint, it makes no sense. From a counterintelligence standpoint, it makes no sense. John is playing around with the idea that this is a secret technology. Sarah thinks it's possible that the public emergence of the UAP discussion is rooted in disinformation. Tim, he thinks the risk of blowback isn't worth it. It's too much effort. So what does Tim believe? Well, Tim thinks it comes down to a zealous belief in a new religion of UFOs. I cannot see any other explanation than they do truly believe in what they're saying. They do truly believe that this is an important issue and that they, they believe it to be such a significant issue. We've had a, a full-scale war breakout. You know, I've not paid attention to anything that has to do with UFOs. And in fact, I've found myself kind of, when I've seen somebody talking about UFOs, let's say, in my Twitter feed or everything, maybe, maybe a sense of resentment. Because you're like, there's some serious world-changing things going on. And I would imagine for people like them who have had a spent a much more intimate uh, image of that type of world, that, that, uh, you know, that would be even more significant for them. To, but the fact that they continue to talk about UFOs, I can't see any other explanation than the fact that uh, they're at least genuine and that this is something they view as being a significant issue. Perhaps it was fervent belief that pushed us beyond the fringes of logic to get us here. John has a name for this. The I want to believe syndrome. Now that doesn't mean there's nothing to the phenomena, mind you. I believe there is absolutely something to the phenomena. At what point do you believe so strongly that you will make up the middle? All with good intentions. John thinks all the possibilities are plausible. It's one big steaming pot of misinformation, pour in some new technology, a little conviction, sprinkle in some logic, and toss in all the things we can't explain. It's both real and not real. I believe the answer is yes to all of the above. It encompasses everything. And that is the true value to counterintelligence. You do not let your enemy know what you do or do not know. And that is exactly what the UFO phenomena does, because if there is some foreign power, they have no idea if we really know that or not. If it really is alien, no one on the planet really knows if the government knows that or not. And so I think until it's been ruled out adequately, I think we have to look at that as a big possibility that is absolutely all of the above. We've heard what some of my colleagues and fellow journalists have to say. Now... What do I think, dear listener, at the moment you've all been waiting for? After your final chance to get some amazing recommendations, deals, fill out a questionnaire, call your senator, I don't know. Whatever's about to happen, it's amazing. And this is the only show that will offer you the opportunity to seize the day. 
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. In 1959, Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, wrote a book about UFOs. Jung explained that the UFO phenomenon exists in a strange duality. It is clearly, to quote Jung, a modern myth something fictional and fantastical. Yet, things show up on radar and videos from time to time. So, Jung thinks, there's probably something real to it. It's both fiction and fact. This duality, he concludes, creates a sort of psychological and cultural delusion, a belief system that fuses aspects of the real with fantasy. The fun thing about myths, though, and I'm sure Jung would agree with me here, is that they always house a trickster or two, that character in the story that likes to fuck with everyone. And if I had to point to the trickster in this story, that one character who speaks in half-truths and sows chaos into the narrative, well, that would be the United States government. After all the yarn and pins I've gone through over the years, what I'm most certain about is there will always be a trickster. It will always be much more complicated than it appears. I know, what a bummer. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't investigate or keep peering into the fog. We should keep asking questions. Even if what you get insight into, in many cases, is a person's worldview. Often, Whether I'm talking to someone like Bart LaValle or a CIA spy, the conversation drifts into intention, speculating on the meaning and motivations of the mysterious beings. Are they friendly, or do they mean to harm us? This might shock you. I kind of love these conversations. We want to believe, which, personally, I find beautiful. Kendrick Lamar said on The Howard Stern Show that he saw what he believed was an alien spaceship when he was six and that it's probably why he's made music. I do not know or have an opinion on what he saw, but on some level, who cares? It gave us KDOT. In short, our beliefs make us who we are. And these conversations, they're fun. They help the podcast and marijuana industrial complex run. But of course, I'd still love answers. And yet... Who's qualified to do that work, really? Is it the government? Well, for me, the long history of secrets and deception makes trusting them on the topic really hard. Is it to the stars? Well, their limited funds and private status make them complicated. So who can provide us insights that will truly push our understanding forward? I don't know. Someone smarter than me will need to figure that out. That is, unless... You, listeners, think I should be the one to deliver us answers. Sure, I don't have a science background, but I'm pretty sure I can be the one to discover the truth that's out there. So if you know someone with a ton of money, I'll just need unlimited funding and no expectations of results or any product. You know, leave a review endorsing the idea. (sighs) 
Okay, I don't even like guessing about the truth beneath it all. But since I've been told that I don't get to leave this recording studio, I'll say this. We've gone through a lot of theories, speculating. I'm not convinced Senator Reid or Chris Mellon or Lou Elizondo were duped by their government or are engaged in some con to hide a larger conspiracy. There isn't enough evidence for me to go down that rabbit hole. We've gone over, at length, how much these guys worked the system, sacrificed and endured mean tweets. I think they only went through all that trouble because they believe. Whether they have indisputable evidence the public hasn't seen, well, I remain skeptical. Frankly, it doesn't matter until you and I, dear listener, get to see it and study it. But they believe they know what truth is out there, and they want us to believe too. But I implore you, dear listener, do not settle for beliefs and blind faith from this, this alien state. Because, as you should have learned by now, nothing is ever what it seems. I'm MJ Benias, signing off from this batch of transmissions. Keep looking to the sky, and keep asking questions, dear listener. Oh my god. Wait. Who the hell is this? Alien State is hosted by me, MJ Benias. It's reported by me and Casey Georgie. Produced by Casey Georgie. Our associate producer is Stephanie Aguilar. Written by Grant Irving, Casey Georgie, and myself. Editing by Lizzie Jacobs and Megan Dietrich. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly. Music by Nolan Schneider. Sound design by Grant Irving and Sam Baer. Engineering by Sam Baer. Our executive producers are Grant Irving, Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Anthony LePay. Special thanks to Pallavi Kotamasu, Steve Ackerman, Charlie Yador, and Danielle Jones-Wesley. Thanks to our legal team, Nimra Azmi and Alison Shari, for Davis Wright Tremaine. 